Hey, good news! We've added the Tech on Tap podcast to Google Play, so if you want to listen there, look us up. This week on the Tech on Tap podcast, find out what the security team will be up to at Insight in our quarterly security update. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. NetApp. I love this company. Zipoc. Zipoc. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm in the studio here and with me today I've got the security team. Uh, So we're going to go around the room here first and then we'll go to the phone. Uh, On my right, Juan Mojica. Hi, what do you do? Hey, Justin. I'm Juan Mojica, like you said. I'm responsible for security, product management, and technical marketing. Excellent. Uh, And can we reach you on social media? Yeah, I'm at Juan underscore M underscore Mojica at Twitter. At Twitter. At Twitter. Just at Twitter. At, uh, yeah, I did that wrong. That's okay. We're <laughs> going to keep that in there. So um, you have a blog as well, right? I have. Uh, I'll admit that I haven't. Um, I mainly called it out because I wanted to, to, you to say that you don't really update it that uh, much. Yeah, it's been a while. It's okay. I have a job now. <laughs> it's, part, it's part of your job. Anyway, so what's the blog? Uh, it was a security brute squad at, I think, dot blogspot.com. I, honestly, I don't know anymore. Doesn't even know. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Also in the studio with us today, Anker. Uh, hi. What do you do here at NetApp? And how do I reach you? Hi. Um, I'm a product manager in security at NetApp. Uh, primarily work on um, ONTAP and related uh, products. And um, you can reach me on Twitter at Ankur Acharya. And that's my First name, last name as my Twitter handle. We'll include these in the show notes in case you're driving and you don't want to worry about writing this down and spelling it. So we'll do that. Cool. So, Ankur, um, you're fairly new here. How long have you been at NetApp? Um, six months. Six months. Juan, how's he doing so far? Mm. This is your review, by the way. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so um, so where did you where did you come in from? Uh, primarily, I was at IBM uh, before this job. I did a couple of consulting gigs here and there, but yeah, um, I was a product manager in IBM security and working mostly on the compliance related projects there, uh, product compliance uh, for different regulatory purposes. So what drew you to NetApp? Was it because it was a similar shade of blue and you're like, okay, this is this is a nice transition? Absolutely, and it's in the same zip code. It is. It's right yeah. down the street, literally. So, um, also in the studio with us today, Dan Tullidge. You may be familiar with him. Hi, Dan. What do you do, and how do we reach you? Hi, Dan Tullidge here, and glad to be here, as usual. And I'm a tech marketing engineer, and I work for Juan Mojica. And I don't expect my review, but, you know, if he, if he wants to lay it out. Oh, it's coming. Okay. <laughs> so, Juan, please note in his review that he broke my headphones. Noted. <laughs> so, how do we reach you, Dan? Uh, Dan underscore Tullidge. All right, at Twitter at Twitter, and you you keep your Twitter private though. So if you want to if you want to follow Dan, you have to really follow Dan. Well, you know, I don't try to be private. You know, I just no. You do. It's your it's your security nature. I'm just discreet. That's all. That's right. Also with us today on the phone, Matt Trudwin from his remote location. I won't tell you where because that'd be a violation of security. Uh, hi, Matt. Hey, Justin, how's it going? Uh, Yes, I'm a technical marketing engineer here at NetApp, obviously focused on security, imagine that. And uh, you can find me on the Twitters at NTAPMAT. 
and tap Matt. All right. So um, we do a security update every quarter because security is something that is ever-changing, and we want to make sure we keep up to date with it. Uh, so what we're going to do first is we're going to talk a little bit about news uh, about security that's been going on. So Juan, what's been happening in, in the world? There has been some guidance published by the FBI to kind of keep an eye on MFA as folks have been able to bypass some of the MFA capabilities. There's been a pretty recent high-profile case of that happening with uh, the Twitter CEO, right? Yeah. Like Jack Dorsey actually had his Twitter hacked because of MFA. Yeah. Yeah, it was text message, SMS stuff. SMS stuff, exactly. So folks are figuring out, and this is something that is kind of widely known, is that you can, it, it sounds like Jason Bourne stuff, somebody cloned my SIM card and somebody cloned <laughs> my phone, and now I'm out there and they're intercepting my messages. But really, that's you're kind of signing up for that once you're uh, wanting to receive codes via text message. Somebody could you know, purportedly get in there and uh, kind of intercept those. Yeah, this isn't a whole lot different than Mac cloning, right? Like yeah. having a network card that's been right. modified to have the Mac address that looks like someone else's Mac address that so you can get on a network that maybe is Mac filtered. Yeah, and that I mean that's the kind of the more technical aspect of it. The the other kind of more low, I don't want to say low brow, but uh, low barrier to entry from a technology standpoint is um, some social engineering aspects where you can call the phone company and basically as long as you have enough information. Uh, you can ask them to, hey, I lost my phone. Hey, you know, and I'm trying to get it back. I'm trying to get my number back on this new phone that I bought and work with the customer service representative that has conflicting now, like conflicting modes of operation, right? Because he wants to make sure that he doesn't get punished for bad service. Yeah. And, but he also wants to then also be secure. And so these kind of conflicting paradigms would lead potentially down to the wrong outcome where that service representative now has transferred your phone over to somebody else's. And now you don't even have to do the cloning part of it like it's like jason Bourne. this uh, now it's kind of like homer simpson just <gasps> computers can do that it's like okay now i have this phone number uh and i'm able to do and intercept those text messages that uh, are coming my way yeah i mean you'll find that most breaches are probably the result of some form of social engineering in one yes, way or another yeah, whether it's phishing whether it's this you know so it's the human element is weak yeah, it's just basically, it's not like Hackers, the movie. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what else has been going on? Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of ransomware attacks. <sighs> so we haven't quite figured out how to stop that, or are we just not listening enough? Uh, well, so it's, again, it's the, the people aspect of it that comes into play. Like you mentioned, uh, the phishing campaigns or ever... Uh, more effective as things start to look exactly like the emails that you get on a day-to-day basis. And the other aspect of it is that most of the workforce, I think, is, you know, like a lot of us overworked in times. And sometimes you just make, you know, make one mistake and maybe you haven't had time to patch that server. You haven't had time to patch that application. And next thing you know, bada-bing, bada-boom. It's going to be a bit bada bing bada boom kind of day, by the way. Yeah, it is. Pretty much every time <laughs> you're in here, it's a bada bing bada boom, which is funny because you're not Italian. I uh, know, <laughs> uh, and um, I think I long to be sometimes. Now, um, then it's they're compromised. Yeah, so I mean, like you you see this um, happen in, in corporations as well. Like 
you know, people tell you don't look at emails or don't open attachments from people you don't know. Well, well how they're getting around that is they're pretending to be people you know mm-hmm. <laughs> or pretending to be, you know, entities that you know. Maybe it says that I'm your company and I'm going to send you this this important HR doc, right? And Or it's this document that tells you that you have a dress code or something, some along those lines. So it's something that you think that you need to open that's official or unofficial, right? Uh, so... What you need to do is basically mouse over that i this this email address. Make sure it's an actual email address with the at company.com, right? You want to make sure that's the case. If you see a link, don't click the link. Mouse over the link. Watch the little highlighted field thing. Copy or paste it into like a, a notepad so you see where the link is going. If it's a weird-looking link, don't open it. If it's a shortened link, like a bit.ly link or something, don't open it. Mm-hmm. Right? Exactly. Yep. One of the best ones they use is, uh, hey, click on this to see uh, what your new vacation policy or what your bonus is going to be. Yeah, and everyone wants to see that, right? Yeah. yeah. I don't know why you went with dress code, Justin. That was kind of strange. Because I saw one happen. Oh, really? for, yeah, there was a, a NetApp <laughs> one. It was, I think it was from NetApp IT. Really? Right. I think it was one of those, those uh, basically trying to hook, and hook, hook you in there, right? Trying to see if you're paying attention to security policies, which I always am. Right. So, yeah, they want you to basically see the email and then forward it on to their InfoSec team so that you know they can, they can be proven that you know what you're doing, I guess. And then you still have to watch the video every year, this. Yeah. So what else has been going on? Juan. <laughs> <laughs> well, there – and goes to your kind of more efficient campaign kind of uh, items is that the there's targeted attacks at – the C level where they try to impersonate, like you mentioned, one other member to try to basically transfer fraud, uh, extract money out of a corporation, basically sending an email as if you were the C- if, if they were the CFO to the CEO saying, hey, we're trying to close on XYZ deal. Uh, you know, we need wired uh, $500,000 to this account. And uh, several corporations here and there have fallen for that as well. The the interesting part, I think, in general uh, about that one is that it, it, it's been effective here and there, uh, and it's uh, the the top level of the hierarchy of the company, so nobody's necessarily immune to being fished. But um, in in general, is that these uh, attackers are figuring out how to wait how to make money. And if there's money to be had, more and more people are going to try to get in. Yeah, and I was I was on my phone here. I wasn't wasn't not paying attention to you. I was trying to find this this Twitter thread that I saw that was pretty interesting. It was like a very sophisticated phishing attempt. I wanted to call it out. Mm-hmm. This guy basically gets a phone call from his, somebody saying it's his bank, mm-hmm. right? And he says, "Oh, we noticed that you tried to use your card in Miami, Florida. Was this you?" And then he says, "No." All right, we blocked the transaction. You know, am I speaking to Peter? What is the member number? And then gives the member number, which doesn't really matter, right? Mm-hmm. All right, we sent a verification pin to your phone, the SMS exploit, right? Mm-hmm. Basically, here, we've sent it to your SMS. Uh, he gets the pin number from the bank, or quote-unquote bank, reads out the pin. All right, I'm going to read your transactions, then reads the transactions out. So they have very they, – they've got real-time information at this point. Mm-hmm. So they're sending him you – know, telling him what transactions he's in. They're all legitimate. So now they're asking to block his account. They need his pin to block his account. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is where they're trying to get him, right? But he's smart enough to know, hey, no, 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 no. That's not happening, right? So he hangs up, calls his bank, and lets them know what's going on. But basically what they were doing is they were, they were looking – they had already gotten into his account using some other exploit, and they were looking at these transactions. And to get to the actual money, they needed the pin number. So social engineering meets hacking mm-hmm. together. So a lot of a lot of interesting things going on there, and they're getting more and more sophisticated. So even even like the most seasoned IT veterans are going to be susceptible to this. So um, a lot of the ways people 
try to prevent intrusions into their network or, uh, you know, see if there's somebody able to get into it is proactive scanning, right? They, they try to scan their networks and see what sort of exploits might be out there. So what sort of scanners are out there, Dan? There's Nessus. That's probably probably the most widely used one, um, known one. There's Qualys. Um, there's Nmap, which has been around for years and years. Um, but, yeah, I mean, people run these scanners and, and different things turn up. Usually the thing that turns up with, with ONTAP is it's identified as a free BSD version that is, you know, not uh, acceptable. But there's different ways of doing your scanning. And so usually if you use credentials in the scan, it will properly identify um, ONTAP as ONTAP. So. Yeah, but most cases these scans are not being done by storage administrators. They're being do- done by security teams or maybe right. outside like consultants, right? Exactly. <laughs> so, um, Ankur, have you had any experience with people asking you why there's an exploit in ONTAP and with their, because of their scanner? No, no? I, I haven't had that It's only been six so months. I, yep. It'll happen. <laughs> Don't worry. So, uh, what are what are some of the most common things that you like? You were at IBM. Were you working in security there? Yeah. So, did you have a similar problem with scanners creating false positives, or you know, what sort of things did you see with that? In some cases, yes. So, essentially, we would create a policy engine based on rules for some of the products, and in case there was an outlier to those set of rules, uh, that would trigger an alert being sent to the IT admins. And those admins had the option to pre-configure the response at that point, whether or not to, you know, chop off corporate network access or to shut down a system or to completely ignore it and log it as a warning. So, so based on those set of predetermined actions, you know, the, the end user's device would experience, um, you know, either a complete blockage or a shutdown or a possible warning that they can just touch their screens and, you know, be done with that. So, yes, these kind of false positives could occur because some of those policies that we configure to to set the ground rules for security postures in in the companies could be conflicting, could have overlooked on some of the use cases that, that may arise over time. So, Matt, when you get an email from somebody asking about an exploit that they found in a scanner or something that says that there's something wrong with ONTAP, what is your response and how do you handle it? Well, luckily, those usually get uh, go to uh, Kevin on our pizza team. But <laughs> well, they, they do make their way to you sometimes, right? So, they I mean, do. They yeah. do. They do, actually, yeah. And um, what's, what's really important to understand there, what a lot of people don't realize is that on tap is not the a Linux or a Unix system, right? It's that it's FreeBSD based, but that doesn't mean it actually is FreeBSD. And so one of the most common ones we get, Dan already alluded to it, but I want to kind of dive into a little more because we get this a lot is, hey, on tap is running an out of date FreeBSD version. So as you probably recall, back in 9.2, we changed our networking stack um, to FreeBSD completely. And since that time, um, of course, we update our FreeBSD code as well. But the scanners, they read us as FreeBSD, or they read us as running a certain version of SSH. Well, we don't just use those third-party versions and never change them, right? It's our own code. We just start with there. So the scanners aren't really doing always a very deep uh, and deep dive into what we are running. And so that's why Dan mentioned the credential scan. So typically, when we get these kind of requests, we are actually going to see, all right, what error are you getting? What is it pointing out? 
and do we have do we have we seen this before? Most of the time we've seen it before, and there's there's KB articles out there uh, that talk about you know what it is. But I just want people to really take away that just because the scanner says it's X software doesn't really mean it's that way because we're on tap, we're not FreeBSD, etc. Right, and I mean it's it's important to raise I think that issue when you do see it, but you know keep in mind that like you said they're not running TrueBSD here, and it's, it goes with SMB as well, like SMB versions. Well, they, they'll they'll call out Microsoft exploits for XMB versions. Say, hey, you're you're you know at risk for this, but in reality, we're not because we're not Microsoft, so we don't use the same code line. Yeah, it's all uh, all about context, right? It's basically looking for a pattern. So, if you were to say, okay, I'm looking for a gun, right? A gun. I see a gun, but if that's attached to a police officer, maybe the context of that is, oh, okay, well, that you know, that gun has has all the proper has somebody hopefully that has all the proper training to use it and whatnot versus in other contexts, a gun should be something that you're worried about. So it's, it's really all about context. And certainly we do uh, patching uh, as well as, um, you know, as these things are reported. And accordingly, if we, we notice that we, we need to take action, we do take action as well, right? We, NetApp supports the software in and of itself. So NetApp is, you know, uh, doing what it needs to do to, to take care of those. So when we get a vulnerability that's an actual vulnerability, we patch it. How does that patch get applied? It depends on the software, but obviously you're going to have to do a software uh, update, either in a, a P release or in, a, in the next major release, depending on you know where you are and as far as when it was uh, discovered and whatnot. Okay. So as far as... Um, the scanners go. I mean, obviously, they, they create some p- false positives. But you know, would you still say that people should be using them and they should be, you know, validating everything? Yes, I think so. I mean, it's it's good to ask the question. It's good to verify that all your vendors are doing the right thing. I think the the crux of it that comes in. Uh, you also need to determine what you're willing to and what you're not willing to accept as a response from your uh, software or your hardware providers as far as what's good enough. Uh, and that's typically the rub. It's that some folks uh, and some companies out there are pretty black and white. Either it is or it isn't. And they're, like we mentioned, there's whole sorts of shades of gray. And that's 50 of them, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that um, in, in and of itself, these applications, these scanners are also tools, right? They're also written by individuals, which are also not infallible, uh, which then kind of begs the question, okay, you, you, who's, you know, you, you want to have a healthy set of skepticism, but at some point you're going to have to figure out how you resolve that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Matt, if I'm looking to protect my ONTAP system, um, what are some things that I can do and where, what are some resources I can access to help me understand how to do that? ONTAP Hardening Guide, TR4569. Hey, he remembers it now. So I'm just <laughs> guessing you've had to say that a few times. So what sort of – give me some high-level things we can do. Like let's say for, for NAS protection, how, how can we do that? Well, for NAS, we've got, uh, you know, it depends on if you talk about SysNFS, but one of the things a lot of people don't know that I like to highlight is we actually have encryption in flight. If you want SMB encryption, if you want NFS encryption, you may have heard of that one, Justin. I've heard of both uh, of those things. Continue. Yeah. Um, you know, we have that. Um, we have uh, export controls on NFS exports, which have been around forever, but what we also have is uh, something called storage level access guard for SMB. Where if you, uh, let's say you've got Windows administrators and they're disgruntled and you're worried about them opening up all the file permissions, 
well, you can set a second set of permissions on the storage system, and they will not be able to uh, to open that up. So that's a great way to secure the file protocols. Yeah, and your your SMB encryption is going to be basically SMB three encryption that does uh, AES two fifty six. Then you got your Curb five P, which is privacy, which is all packets encrypted, or you can do basic Kerberos five authentication, which is basically just the initial authentication process. And again, you can go all the way up to AES two fifty six there. Um, what sort of protections do we have for things like SSH? SSH, we uh, we actually have multi or not we we call it multi factor authentication, but really it's um, two factor authentication. So you can have um, certificates, PKI, between you know machine-to-machine communication as well as password. You can require both. Um, we also support SSH version 2. Uh, we've got some SHA-2 support. Uh, Dan knows that a little bit better, but I believe that's for LDAP and local accounts, local accounts only. Yeah, so tell us a little bit about that LDAP authentication piece. I know that gets that's a common question we get. You know, am I able to use LDAP to authenticate to my cluster, and how do I secure that? Yeah, sure. You can use LDAP, you know, in and by itself to authenticate for administrative access uh, by SSH, and you can also combine, as, as Matt was alluding to, you can combine LDAP user ID and password with public key to get that uh, chain two-factor authentication. Um, and you can do that same thing with local accounts as well. And we support all forms of LDAP, right, as long as they're compliant with the standard? Yep, we yep. do. I ask that because that, that gets asked occasionally. I'm sure you've gotten that question before. And, and one of the things that I forgot to add in the beginning is that even though folks have figured out how to bypass MFA, Microsoft's still published uh, like an article saying that MFA prevents 99.9% of like account attacks. So it's still pretty good yeah, it's, yeah it's, so it's, it's powerful yeah let me let me use an analogy there right so doors prevent many entries to houses <laughs> sometimes they don't stop entries but would you stop having a door because they don't always prevent entries no you would not you'd still have a door right so mfa is your door you still want to have that door there even though some people can knock it down it's just a lot harder and some people don't want to take the effort right it's just it takes a lot of time and effort sometimes to get in there and is it is it really worth what's behind the door to get there so, Dan, if I want to check what ciphers are available in ONTAP, is there a command that we have? Yeah, there is. Um, it's a security... Uh, I can't remember the whole command. It's off I think it's config show, I think. Yeah, yeah, config show. Security That's config show? Cool. Yeah. yeah, so, I mean, if you're ever interested in what particular ONTAP version supports which ciphers, you right. can use security config right. show. And, and you can restrict the ciphers to whatever you like as well. Yeah, I mean, basically, if you want to take out the, the less secure ones, you can do that. Right. So nobody can access, say, using DES. Right. Cool. So, since you guys are talking about that, I got to chime in here because I wrote a blog on it with perfect forward secrecy. Yeah. So uh, it's pretty cool because what it is, it's a cipher suite where um, it does not use the same key every time. So normally when you have TLS connections, uh, you're going to you know, have a key exchange. Uh, certain cipher suites will use the same key every time. If you're using PFS, perfect forward secrecy capable cipher suites, then you actually see a different key every time. Well, why is that important? Let's say somebody out there is sniffing your network traffic. If uh, they are able to hack that key, which is very hard, but you know, theoretically can be done, then they would be able to also decrypt all the previous sessions they sniffed. Well, if you're using PFS, they don't. They only get that session that they just recorded and, and happened to hack the one key up. So it's uh, something you should really look into uh, implementing in your buyer. Cool. And do you have a blog that we can add to the show notes for that? Yes, I do. All right, we'll add that to the show notes. 
Um, so what sort of at, uh, at rest encryption or at rest security do we have available, Matt? We've got uh, both software and hardware. You know, hardware is uh, what probably people are more familiar with, um, NetApp storage encryption, FIPS 140-2 level 2 uh, validated drives. We also have NetApp volume encryption, which is our software-based encryption. And we added something new uh, we might have touched on last uh, podcast, but NetApp aggregate encryption, which is basically um, software encryption with all the storage efficiencies. So you get you know your aggregate dips and whatnot. Um, and one of the cool things is that you can use uh, the two layers. You can do software and hardware at the same time to double encrypt your data if you want. At uh, you know n- no no cost really other than what you pay for the hardware drive. All the software stuff is a zero dollar license. So. So we're uh, we're at FIPS one forty two for the hardware piece. Are we also at that level for the software piece, the NVE and, and that sort of thing? And so you definitely need to look at the components, right? The FIPS one forty two level one uh, NetApp cryptographic module uh, that is what is used for NVE and NAE, and that's one forty two level one. There's also, uh, like I mentioned, the drives are actually one forty two level two drives. If you want, um, you know, a key manager that uh, can do level two, then you would need to do a uh, external key manager. But uh, yeah, we have all the different levels. A lot more detail on that on um, security.netapp.com with our certification. So the 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 short answer is yes. Fifth one forty dash. Yeah, I forgot the level. So what do the levels do? Like, what are the differences between level one and level two? So from that perspective, level one really means that you're using validated uh, cryptographic algorithms. There's a C, uh, there's a CMVP, the cryptographic validation program. There's a CAVP, that's the cryptographic uh, algorithm validation program. Part of what you have to do is pass the CAVP to go to the CMVP. Then for level two, since FIPS 140-2 was written quite some time ago, you start getting into a lot of hardware-specific stuff. Uh, really, the biggest thing is to have tamper evidence in uh, in the device. So really what you're looking for is somebody tries to break in, that you figured out that somebody had tried to uh, broken in either by leaving some residue on tape or that can't be wiped uh, by normal means or some breakaway screws. There's also items around uh, opacity uh, and then a couple of, uh, I would say, authentication mechanisms that would typically apply to single devices, not an enterprise-grade system. And so it gets a little bit tricky. The one interesting part is that FIPS 140-3 was published um, earlier this year. And now uh, all the validation labs are trying to figure out what they need to do in order to actually validate at somebody at FIPS 140-3. So even though it's out there, it's, you know, it's looming, if you will, FIPS 140-2 will last, you know, for a bit of time as well. You know, they'll stop validating at a certain point, but uh, the certificates themselves will still be valid. Uh, and, you know, even the labs right now still haven't gotten, you know, their act together. And, you know, that's, they just got this dropped on them. So they're trying to figure out what to do. Cool. So I guess we also added 9.6 self-encrypting drives. Is that right? Yeah, there's a... Yeah, that's it's, right. It's NVM, NVMe drives are mm-hmm. referred to as self-encrypting drives and not necessarily NSE drives, right? Because they are not um, FIPS 140 to uh, validated Okay, so self-encrypt is not 140-2. It's just... No. No. Okay, cool. Yeah, it gets a little hairy there. I mean, technically, the, the, the FIPS disks are self-encrypting, right? So just, yeah, the key part is NSE, FIPS validated. Right. Non-NSE, you know, it's, it's no FIPS. So. Okay. 
So um, in addition to the at-rest stuff that we mentioned, we also have something that's a feature within NVE and probably, I guess, NetApp aggregate encryption as well, where you can cryptographically shred a file, right? So walk me through that a little bit, Matt. Yeah, so that's uh, called Secure Purge. And before we actually talk about the feature, it's important to understand why you would use it. So uh, there's two main use cases, but the big one that we're touting is um, data spills. You know, sometimes the wrong file gets copied in the wrong place. Well, without Secure Purge, when that happens, what you're going to have to do is you're going to say, oh, I got the wrong file in the wrong place. I need to migrate. I need to delete that file, but that's not good enough because it can be recovered. I need to migrate all the rest of the data that's there to another location and then sanitize all those disks. Now I know that the data can't be retrieved. So why do I have to do that, Matt? What if I don't want to? Yeah, if you don't want to, then you can, you know, roll the dice, take a risk. Uh, NetApp Insight is going to be in Vegas, so there's a lot of risk taking out there. But um, you know, you don't you usually don't come home a winner when you go to Vegas. So uh, yeah, someone was to get a hold of those drives, and they could very easily pull that sensitive data off. But aren't right? there like regulations that tell me I have to do that sometimes? Did you have to what, delete the delete the delete the data? That I have to scrub <laughs> it. Aren't there some regulations out there, like when I'm working, say, in in government? Yeah, it's very important. <laughs> so that's uh, that's why you would actually don't you don't want to do this painful process, right? You don't want to have to migrate the data, sanitize the disks. So what you can do, we make it simple for you, is use something called Secure Purge. Uh, now there are some caveats of what you need, but let me talk about the feature real quick. With Secure Purge, you had that that file over there, that uh, that data spilled file. You just say uh, you delete it, and then you say Secure Purge it. And once that's done. All the snapshots are gone. What it'll actually do is uh, use the NetApp volume encryption underneath. So it moves the volume, all the that data for you to a new place. It doesn't move the deleted data, of course. And when it moves the volume, it creates a new encryption key. Then it deletes that, deletes that old encryption key, and that data is now unrecoverable. In fact, um, OnTrack uh, actually is the, they're the uh, third party that can recover a lot of this data. They're very good at it. Um, and we had them look at Secure Purge and said, hey, using Secure Purge, can you recover this data? And uh, they actually found out they could not. Um, so it's on track, validated, irrecoverable when you use Secure Purge. And in fact, uh, it was so useful that we, um, along with OnTrack, won an award recently at the Flash Memory Summit Award. There's also a blog on that, which we can add to the show notes. But yeah, NetApp and OnTrack together won an award for, um, from the Flash Memory Summit for this. So um, how does this impact snapshots? Let's say I've got the data in snapshot as well. What do I need to do with that? So before Secure Purge can run, you do have to delete all the uh, snapshots on the volume. So why, why is that? Have to go bye-bye. Why is that, Matt? Because it holds the data, Justin. Yeah, <laughs> but why, why, can I, why can I delete it at a snapshot, Matt? <laughs> yeah, um, because if, if you keep those snapshots there, then that data is still going to be there, right? That's it's great for uh, recovering from ransomware. Your data is still there, but when you're trying to clean up data spills, snapshots don't help you in that instance. So, what specifically is special about a snapshot, Matt? <laughs> a snapshot is just a pointer, Justin. It's a pointer to um, to uh, your actual data. So, can I write to a snapshot, Matt? I'm leading you there. Please go there. Can I write to a snapshot? No, they're they are not writable. They are immutable, read only. That's right. They're read only, which you mentioned. They works well with ransomware because ransomware is going to try to go in and write to that file or that file set. And if it's in a snapshot, it can't. So if you want to recover from a ransomware attack, what do you do, Matt? You restore the snapshot. Woohoo! Yes, that's right. <laughs> that easy. 
Man, that was painful, Matt. I expect more out of you. <laughs> Thank you. All right, so what else we got, Matt? Um, that's that's pretty much it for Secure Perch. Uh, it, I will say, other than that, it uh, it does require an external key manager, and it is NV only. So there's just the caveat on that. Okay, you need an external key manager. Right. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, think about it. You're actually deleting the encryption key. Well, if we're using the onboard key manager, then it's still technically within within OnTap. So it's kind of like trust us. It's you know we deleted it, so we just work with a third party key manager. Okay, cool. What sort of third party key managers have we qualified, Dan? Well, we got uh, Jamalto, which is on one of our uh, probably top ones. Uh, Bormetric, uh, IBM SKLM, and ESKM from. Ultimato, is that how you say that one? Ultimaco or Ultimaco. Yeah, Ultimaco. So, yeah, those are our four primary ones, but we have many that are burgeoning. So if I have a key manager that's not been qualified, what's my process for getting that approved? And so for that, do you need to work with the key management vendor as well as uh, us? So, you know, we have requests for partnerships from, you know, everybody out of the woodwork. And one of the things that we ask is that, hey, do we actually have a joint customer working together? Uh, And then from that portion forward, then, you know, we can proceed to work with that key management vendor uh, to validate their software. We're able to, uh, you know, the beauty of ONTAP that is it's uh, all in really the intelligence is in software. So we would give um, some access to that new potential partner to ONTAP select, and then they can code and, you know, triage some of the failures on their end uh, as they're building their key manager up. And then we run through a basic uh, script with them uh, to, you know, make sure that it's not going to leave you high and dry when uh, you're actually deploying it. And then we'll make sure that from that point on, it's it's good to go. So you mentioned ONTAP Select, and that got me actually thinking about something else. Um, security can be kind of a pain to deal with, you know, upgrading ONTAP to get patches, trying to manage that particular piece one thing that helps you avoid doing that is having a cloud instance of ONTAP, right? Because the cloud provider then manages the security end. Would that be the case? Like they do the upgrades and all that stuff for you, right? You don't have to worry about that. You're just basically running the instance in, in the cloud. So if you own the instance, you would still be responsible. Well, like something like Cloud Volumes on tap, right? So they, they're managing the service. Yes. If they're managing the service, right. then it's up to – that's what you offload. And that's ultimately also what you end up paying for, right? It's, yes. There's no free lunch here. It's it, Somebody's taking care of it, so somebody's getting paid for that. <laughs> somebody's got to get paid. The cloud is not only someone else's computer. It's also somebody else's wallet. Yeah. So, Yeah. Um, so, Insight's coming up. Uh, what are you all doing for Insight? First of all, is everyone here going to Insight? Ankur is not. Ankur is not. I didn't. Sorry to sing me out, buddy. That's all right. We had to do that because you're new. Yeah. <laughs> I figured. Well, one day you'll get to go to Insight. It's actually my first Insight in five years. So. First Insight in five years. All right. So, Matt, uh, first Insight in five years for you. What are you going to be doing there? Uh, I'm actually presenting in three sessions. Uh, one is uh, on ransomware, which we've talked about a lot today. And I'm going to show you not only how you can recover from ransomware in a live demo, by the way, but uh, I'm actually going to show you how you can prevent it in the first place. Um, we have a lot of ways to do that. Teaser, F policy, zero trust, and I'll leave Dan to talk more about that in his session. <laughs> um, I'm also uh, going to be uh, presenting on ONTAP hardening. So. That's why I knew that hardening uh, TR4569 so well. 
I'll be having a session on that and telling you how you can harden your entire ONTAP system, as well as we have something called a, a mega session. And the mega session is going to be a lot of different things, but one of the items in the mega session will be about ransomware. And it'll be kind of a smaller, uh, jazzier version of my uh, ransomware presentation. Jazzier, huh? Will you have like a band? Do the I pic- might have a hoodie. <laughs> Ooh, <laughs> a hoodie. Point. We're going to bring back Joel with his trumpet. Yeah. <laughs> Doing the finger snaps. <laughs> Uh, Dan plays instruments. He could he could show up, right? Yeah. So Dan, um, you have a session as well. Yes, I'm doing as Matt said. I'm doing a session on zero trust. Um, I'm going to cover kind of zero trust from soup to nuts. Um, going to focus a lot on user behavioral analytics, and so that's kind of the the central. It's the engine of zero trust, if you will. So, does anyone here know the origin of soup to nuts? I, I don't. I'm just curious. I, uh, I hear that phrase, and I'm like, what does it mean? <laughs> yeah, I just used it. I have no idea where it comes from. <laughs> I mean, I know what it means, essentially, yeah. but I just, I just, I'm just curious where that comes from. It might be covering the, the classic multi-course meal that starts with a soup and ends maybe with nuts. That is a good explanation. It's a very ex- that's plausible. That's <laughs> plausible. It's a hypothesis. Well, actually, he nailed it. Since I actually have a computer in my disclosed location, uh, yeah, Wikipedia says it's derived from the description of a full course dinner in which courses progress from soup to dessert of nuts. And that's why I hired this guy. <laughs> that was probably that an interview awesome. question. You're like, that is awesome. you're like, all right, we're gonna wrap up our interview here, Anker. Um, what is soup to nuts? <laughs> And then you, you basically just nailed it. I mean, six months in, and you were already nailing the tough questions here at NetApp. <laughs> I know. So, Juan, um, are you also going to be at Insight? I will also be at Insight. I'm also the track lead for these sessions, so I've had you know a review with uh, everybody on their sessions. I'm also presenting because I uh, think that there's some important messages that also need to get out there. Uh, in particular, I have a session on deploying a secure hybrid cloud environment, harnessing the power of the cloud securely. I feel like there is a gap in some knowledge and depending on, if you're a big corporation, you have people and processes all to kind of manage this, but then some of the uh, medium to small businesses maybe want to use the cloud and don't know where to start or how to start. And this session will cover some of technical details as well as best practices that even large corporations can use, um, but also to help people just trying to frame what they need to know about um, about the shared responsibility models of, of the cloud and the technology that is available and everything else that then you need to do to use it securely. And honestly, large corporations need it too because there are large corporations that have not really considered that path and they don't have the people that you mentioned, mm-hmm. right? They need, to, they need to learn as well. Yeah. And so we also have um, a birds of a feather session uh, that is – Uh, being moderated by Kim Weller. It's uh, around data privacy, data governance. The title is basically Be a Multi-Cloud Hero, Embrace Your Role in Managing Cybersecurity, Data Integrity, and Privacy on Your Digital Transformation. And for this, we have a couple of panelists on there that are, one is from the Department of State, one is from the U.S. Bank, and then uh, some internal folks like uh, Maddie Newtstadt-Story, and I hope I said her name correctly as it <laughs> I got did you just, did, who just dinged was that Matt <laughs> it's like I said it right like I was <laughs> <laughs> Matt dinged me <laughs> and uh, okay. and then we also have uh, 
Kirk Kern, uh, CTOs of America. Uh, Maddie's responsible for privacy and data security, uh, director in legal, and then uh, Kirk Kern is uh, the CTOs of the America. He's a director in the Office uh, of Technology and Strategy at NetApp. So it'd be a good discussion on data privacy, like, hey, what data can I put in the cloud? That's <laughs> the number one question. Yeah. And how do I get it there securely is the other question. Yeah, exactly. So there'll be a lot of good discussion in that session. And we also have uh, some partner-led sessions as well on um, uh, things like ransomware as well, uh, a couple of those as well. So keep an eye out, out on, uh, on those. Is it me or are the Insight titles getting longer? You are correct. They are getting longer. <laughs> they are way too long. Like yeah, I was I, writing some down for a blog. I was like, man, this is a really long title. I started shortening them. I didn't even lay my whole title out there. But, you know, yeah, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it, Dan. Let's hear the whole title. Let's just right, kind of illustrate let's this. Let's get applying a zero-trust architecture to your organization's security with NetApp. Soup to nuts. There Soup you go. Soup to nuts. <laughs> Full we are also going to have um, some interesting interactive scenarios at the booth this year. You'll be able to go. I think there's four or five different security scenarios uh, we designed along with marketing. You're going to be able to go and learn about more security items in a, uh, in a kind of a different way through a graphical user interface. So, do you have like a session where like or like a th- something in the booth where they click on a link they shouldn't, you, they get zapped? I can't talk about that, Justin. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> I would I would totally go to that. <laughs> <laughs> you have to be grounded. Yes. Yeah, you have to wear your your special strap that you right. use when you install servers that no one ever wears. No, no one ever. Wears. No one ever wears that strap. <laughs> They should. They should. Yeah. I just I just ground myself on the on the on the, the rack itself. I just grab one of the power cables because I figure there's grounding on that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then you do that, and then you get shocked by a capacitor, and then you never do that again. Flux capacitor. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else, folks? I think um, as far as secure purge is concerned, if you want a quick two minute kind of very high level overview of uh, of how it works. There is a YouTube video out there that I recorded, um, which I would appreciate uh, you guys taking a look at. And uh, really, j- super high level. It's not going to get into the details of it. Uh, and that's what I think um, the upcoming blog will help and kind of as well as some of the information that we've, we're publishing uh, as far as the validation report that goes with it, uh, that OnTrack did, that's going to be available to, uh, to consume. I'm guessing Matt will be linking to that YouTube video in the blog? We will have a new blog coming up, not too in the too distant future, because we're going to have some more marketing press coming uh, around. Well, I was thinking well. the Secure Purge Award. You could have the the link in there to say, "Hey, this is what Secure Purge is." Yeah, but we're also there's going to be. I can't say too much Teaser. more. Teaser. Yeah, exactly. Have to go uh, to Insight to find out. Actually, yeah. get Insight to find out. You'll find out later. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I will also be uh, at Insight Tokyo. So uh, for oh, they've told you. So for my That's Japanese good. friends, uh, Tokyo uh, ni ikimasu, which means uh, well, watashi wa Tokyo ni ikimasu, which will be arigato gozaimasu. That's what they say every time you leave the shop because it's great. They're very friendly. I will be at in Tokyo. Yes, he'll be in Tokyo. That's good. They told you. They have told me. So. Do they look at you because you're really tall, and they're like, "Oh man, that's guys. That, that guy's definitely not from I'm, here." <laughs> I am pretty sure they don't know how tall I am. They don't know. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, anyone else going anywhere else? Insight wise, no. I'm going up to 
Dreamport for AvengerCon next week. AvengerCon? Are Avenger you like, Con, is yeah. this like a Comic-Con or is this something else? It's a little bit different than Comic-Con. It's um, a bunch of U.S. Army uh, pen testers and security architects. And it's a kind of wide open conference with a lot of people talking and NetApp got invited. So, Excellent. Matt, what about you? They send you anywhere? Well, not really heading anywhere, but the only other thing I did want to mention is, uh, you know, we talked about snapshots. You led me there. So, Finally. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so every, but, you know, a lot of people have snapshots to recover from ransomware, right? Well, do a lot of people have SnapLock compliance snapshots? So Ooh. it's kind of a neat thing, something else we different we offer. So I talked about the Windows admins and how you could keep them from, you know, opening up all the permissions. Well, what about your storage admins? Well, you don't necessarily completely trust them. They uh, cannot delete your snapshots and they are in a SnapLock compliant volume. So they are there as long as you want to keep them. So pretty neat feature that uh, NetApp has uh, on tap that a lot of people don't is that we can lock your snapshots and you can't delete them for your desired period. Well, not just deleting snapshots. It also has things like legal hold and event-based retention and, you know, the append. Like there's a lot of good stuff in SnapLock. Kind of wormy. Yep. (laughs) Yes, it is wormy. I got, I got, I understood that reference. <laughs> What's the origin of that reference? The Burmy? Yeah. I mean, it's. We we'll have to ask Uncle. Yeah. I'll, I'll pass. <laughs> Smart. Well, I mean, it's just the reference is just worm, worm. right? I mean, yeah, re- write worm. once, read okay. many. Anyway. Uh, yeah. All right. So thanks everyone for joining us and talking about security quarterly update here. Uh, we'll, we'll do this again probably in the wintertime. So. You know, be ready for that. We'll talk about the goodness that's coming after Insight because you'll you'll probably be hearing about some new features. I already know the features, but I can't tell you now. But mm-hmm. but yeah, so cool, cool. All right, Juan, if we want to reach you, how do we do that? I'm on the Twitters, Juan underscore M underscore Mojica, and that's a Spanish pronunciation. So you're gonna have to figure that one out. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. Uh, Anker, it's uh, my Twitter handle is. At my first name, last name. So at Ankur Acharya. Okay. Show notes will be there as well. Dan. Dan underscore Tullage, which is Tullage and Jethro in the word edge on Twitter. Sitting on a park bench. <laughs> Sorry. Breaking up my Jethro Tullage. Uh, Matt Trudwin. Undisclosed location, Justin. So, oh, wait. Twitter, right? I guess Twitter, I yes. <laughs> NTAP Matt. N-T-A-P Matt. All right, that's easy enough to remember. All right, thanks, everyone. All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at netup. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Juan Mojica, Dan Tullidge, Matt Trudwin, and Ankar Ancharya for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening. Oh, yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh, yeah.